You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. Welcome to episode 134 of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. I'm your host, Tony Lopes. On this episode, we sat down with Van Carlson, founder of Strategic Risk Alternatives a company that helps businesses manage and mitigate risk within their organization. Van Carlson is the founder of Strategic Risk Alternatives. Van has been in the risk management industry for over 24 years. Prior to starting Strategic Risk Alternatives, which you can find at 831b.com, that's 831b.com, Van has an extensive background in risk management, having been in the industry for over 24 years, and having owned his own risk management firm for 15 years before starting Strategic Risk Alternatives. Van, like many other business owners, has a lot of experience in dealing with economic downturns since he was hit hard during the 2008 recession, like many other business owners. During that economic recession, Van realized that there must be a better way to mitigate future risk and to prepare for economic downturns. That's why Van's with us here today. He's here to talk about how you, as a business owner, could potentially mitigate future risk. On this episode, you'll hear a lot about 831Bs, which is a code section in the Internal Revenue Code set up for business owners to help them mitigate risk. We also talk about how business owners and entrepreneurs can use the tools of other Fortune 500 companies to better prepare themselves for economic downturns. Here are the self-made strategies of Van Carlson. Well, Van, thank you so much for joining us. This is a really, really cool, awesome topic to talk about, especially coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, very similar to what you experienced in 2008 during the economic downturn of that time. Um, So interested to hear about your background. How did you get into starting your organization and what kind of led to that? Because I know you were in the industry, you had your own firm for about 15 years, and then you decided to start Strategic Risk Alternatives. Why did you decide to start that organization? You know, um, so my background's in risk management and been doing risk management for now for almost 30 years. But, you know, it's really exciting part of the industry, right? You know, entrepreneurs really want to, they always look at risk first, right? All, most of us try jumping with both feet. And and for me, you know, I started the firm really because of, you know, I saw the risk takers, entrepreneurs, business owners. Um, sometimes you don't know how much risk you took until you have a, a great recession like 08, 09 was. And then unfortunately last year, uh, even if you were prepared for a lot of things, who would saw COVID-19 coming. So you know, from, from our standpoint, um, you know, I wanted to take these types of ideas that I think large institutions do and how do we bring it down, down to the, the, the startups, the entrepreneurs, the, the guys that are up, you know, taking risk every day. And sometimes you don't really realize how much financial risk you've taken until it's too late sometimes. And that's really where, um, you know, for me, it was, you know, clients that were mine for years uh, back in 08, 09, you know, became friends. And, you know, they were risk takers and, you know, unfortunately I saw a lot of go out of business and I figured there had to be a better way. And so that's really where, you know, we, we've, we started out as strategic risk alternatives this year, we rebranded ourselves. We went to SRA 
uh, got, got a new domain. Uh, we used to have strategic risk. This is how great we were in marketing. We had strategic risk alternatives.com as our, and I can't tell you how many times people, how do you spell strategic? And, uh, <laughs> and you probably have similar situations, I guess, but you know, uh, anyway, but we changed it, uh, with the SRA, uh, this year and, and really what, you know, I should tell you, your listener, uh, Tony, is that, you know, we're, we're utilizing a, a very little known tax plan, tax code called 831B plan. And really it was a tax code that was introduced in 1986 and it has to do with recognizing self-insuring risk. And what drove that code back in those days, which now it's going on, what, geez, uh, 30, 40, almost 40 years, I guess now, um, sure. of course was farmers. Farmers are self-insuring crop insurance. And the private sectors, and I say private sectors, you know, traditional insurance companies that we're used to dealing with, Travelers, Zurich, Hartford, all those all those big companies, they were getting out of the crop insurance business because it was, it was becoming too catastrophic. And so Congress got together and said, okay, we have to create an incentive for, you know, the thing about risk, you know, if you have risk in your business inherently, which we all do, it doesn't matter what kind of business you're in, you know, like right now we're seeing huge supply chain risk coming up, right? You know, right. Of course. You know, you know, um, you know that those are risks that, hey, if I have this happen to me, if I can't buy it traditionally through traditional insurances, then I could take this dollar and set it aside, and if something happens, that's a dollar I'm going to use. Well, that's not a deduction under the I rules of the IRS, right? It's not a one sixty two nine item deduction, like. My general liability, my insurance I buy from my property, my inventory would be considered deductible. Uh, that dollar I set aside for that is not. And so that's why Congress came out with 831B. And really, it, it's a heck of a tool. It's been a tool that's been used by Fortune 500 companies and, and companies of that, of that size for literally the last 40 years. Uh, not until probably really after 08 uh, did it become more of a, I'll call it a mainstream uh, concept. Um, I say that because we do think it's going to become a normal business practice. I think if anything, COVID-19 kind of drove that home for last year for people. Um, and it's really similar to the 401k, the way that the way it has to work. And that's really where, you know, from our standpoint, the reason why we like going on, on, on shows like this and, and getting the word out is just education, getting right. people to understand it, you know, and, and that's, you know, we don't want to build a rocket ship here. But it's it's one of those things like a lot of businesses, a lot of successful businesses run have four hundred one k's. You know, it's part of the way they recruit. It's the way they, they maintain their employees. And if you're in a position to do, and two, the owners worried about their own retirement and all that. Um, you know, there's only two deductions that allow you to defer income in your business. One's a four hundred one k, and one's an eight thirty one b. Both of them are tax codes. Both of them are similar in how they need to operate. Both of them have rules and regulations. And you need an administrator to admin the plan, no different than a 401k. And so, you know, our job, our business, my business is to admin 831B plans. And so that's really where we're at today. I mean, we've evolved pretty, uh, you know, I call it a 13-year overnight success story. But, um, you know, we've, we've been in the grind. We've gone through a lot of uh, growth. Uh, we learned a lot last year um, on things that we could do better with our clients and create a better customer experience for our clients. And, you know, we've never, you know, this time last year, man, we were kind of on the fence. We didn't know what was going to happen. You know, we didn't know clients had been with us for a number of years, uh, how they were going to react. Uh, and then two, we we're always about growth. We wanted to grow every year, regardless how bad the year is, you want to grow. Right. 
Of course. Uh, it's the nature of the beast you, you sign on for. And, um, you know, we grew exponentially last year and our clients experienced um, things that they probably never thought they would have to, right? I mean, I'm, we, and they continue this year. I mean, we're still getting a lot of calls about types of different types of risks that are going on. But from my standpoint, you know, the best, best and I say this quite often, the best uh, compliment we get as a company from our clients is they just feel better. They just can sleep easier at night knowing they've done our program. And last year, had you had our program leading into COVID-19, I would tell you, I think a lot of clients were in a lot better position um, to handle the COVID-19 situation versus clients that weren't. And that's really, and that's, you know, it's kind of um, sad to say, but there's just, it's just a lack of knowledge that this code even existed. I mean, I talked to professionals all over the country all the time and they didn't know anything about this, this type of a code, this type of tax code. And again, it's one of those things where, you know, there's, there are some tax advantages to it, obviously. And, um, you know, that's, Anytime there's tax advantages, you're going to see abuse. And unfortunately, and I'm pretty candid with this, is, you know, the IRS went after some bad promoters. And I say mm -hmm. promoters mm -hmm. from the standpoint that the, the, the taxpayer, the clients were being hoodwinked into being sold this as an estate tax play versus a, a true risk mitigation. And um, unfortunately, you know, anytime you have attorneys or CPAs out promoting something for to you that's tied to around a tax code, and they talked of things like tax-free and, you know, all those other things. You know, those are things that should make any business owner leery. Um, right, of you course. Know, and that's, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. But if you, certainly the last four year, last four cases have been won by the IRS for abuses. And it's been really tied to estate tax planning. It was never designed to be a risk mitigation tool. Um, we hire the attorneys. We hire the CPAs. Our, our firm is all risk managers and operations. Mm -hmm. So our sales guys have a, have a, a you know extensive knowledge of risk management and all everything else, and then and then we have good underwriters and everything else we do internally. But you know when I say I, I should back up a little bit. So when you look at a four when you look at a four one k, you have to have a box that that money's put in, and that money's really put in typically to a trading platform, you know Schwab, whoever you know, and then you can mutual funds. You have choice of funds and everything else and if that's the box it sits in mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the 831 b the box you have to be put you're putting yourself into has to look and feel like an insurance company so ultimately the clients the client's plan 831 b would would look really similar to an insurance company but not be an insurance company like in the sense of uh they're out issuing policies and having agents and all that kind of a thing right so but this conceptually speaking it's a box that looks and feels like an insurance company and there's a four-part test to it and that's where we come in as the administrator and make sure our clients are in compliance and that's you really need to have that right uh no different than the 401k the only thing i would say to all that is is your 401k is not administered by an attorney nor is it administered by uh, a cpa typically it's mostly administered by a financial advisor. Somebody that does finances, right? The, you know, goes and looks at the stock market every day. You know, uh, our competitors sometimes out there that are out there, if the clients are you have heard this kind of a program before, um, you know, if it's not a risk manager, then you probably should be somewhat guessing, do you really want these guys representing you under the 831B plan? So, right. and that's really our background. So that, that's what we do. And, 
and that it's been a it's like I said, it's been a 13 going on 14 year overnight success story. But we've done very well. We're in all 50 states. Um, we've got a lot of different uh, trusted advisors out there representing our products, and uh, things have gone well. Uh, unfortunately, COVID 19 was a proof of concept for us. Um, and, you know, I hate to say it in some ways, but, you know, it, it, it's really helped out our business. You know, I think, um, you know, I was looking at this thing last year. Uh, I said it for a long time, and I think it's true for any type of uh, downturns, whether it's economy, whether it's COVID, there's going to be winners and losers. And, you know, you want to try to help as many of the people that are going to be dramatically affected by it the best you can. And, and one way you do it is you use an 831B plan. And, and it's, 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 this, it's this simple. If you're having a really good year, just to take a little bit off the top and park it off to the side is just good risk mitigation. You know, part of the problem, Tony, in our in our world, in our business world, there's plenty incentive to spend. There's literally no incentive to save. Well, with an 831B plan, it allows you to save for those rainy day funds and everything else. And and I I don't want to be um it's it's a it's 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 a tool that a client needs to understand a business owner needs to understand um absolutely um and i don't again i don't want to make this sound like a rocket ship but maybe i am i, I hope i'm not but it, it's it's not a complicated issue but it, it is recognizing risk you can't buy on the open market you can buy you know you can't transfer the risk you you own the risk and a good example is this when the a municipality forces you to shut down you know, that's an indirect loss. Insurance companies aren't going to cover indirect losses. Like well, I think a lot of your a lot of your listeners are probably that were involved in this type of situation last year. We have a ton of we have I don't know. Last time I heard there was eighteen hundred penny lawsuits in the United States. Uh, clients going after their insurance companies for not paying their business interruptions. But it's very clear in those policies that it's excluded on the pandemic coverage. For business interruption and it has to do with indirect losses versus direct losses and so you know if my if my business burns down i do have business interruption for that you know if i have to pay for my employees pay my loans still and everything else i have all that and unfortunately if i don't have a you know um, a good example is a tornado and I, i've had this happen several times over the years where you know if, if the tornado hits the town and goes down through main street and wipes out main street you know, it's, that's a bad day. But if my business happens to be two blocks on either side of that and it doesn't get affected at all, I have no wind damage. I have nothing, no damage done to my property. Well, that, that's good for me. But what's happened to my customers? Are my customers going to start coming to my business? Even if I didn't have a direct loss, I still indirectly are being affected by that tornado. Of course. The problem course. is I don't Absolutely. have a triggering event for that kind of a deal. So those are things that, you know, I think um, uh, business owners need to understand. Um, and unfortunately, last year, I think it came home um, live and well for them, unfortunately. Yeah, of course. And so what were some of those changes that you made in the last year to help improve your support for the business owners that you're working with? Well, you know, it's it's crazy as we thought we had pretty good risk profiles, meaning, you know, certain industries just inherently had self-insuring risk. A good example would be brand damage, right? Brand protection, uh, supply chain risk, uh, uh, business, uh, you know, dispute resolution. You know, unfortunately, the longer you're in business, the more likely you're going to get sued. 
Um, so there's attorneys. I mean, so we, we thought we had a pretty good handle on a lot of those things. But then here comes interruptions where you had rent protection interruptions, where I might be a big commercial a developer and own a bunch of commercial buildings. But now, you know, my tenants aren't paying or they want to pay a reduced rent. They want to pay reduced rent. Um, and all those are, you know, and then to the multifamily owners, people that own, you know, a lot of apartment complexes, you know, they're not, they can't, they can't uh, evict. Um, they're being paid less, if anything. Um, they still had bills. And so one of the things that we looked at this, this the coming next year was rent protection stuff where, you know, if you are those type, that's self-insuring risk, right? It's one thing if it's a bad tenant, meaning that let's just say they, they just stop paying rent. Now you got to. Now you got to be able to evict them and get them out, right? Well, the what happens when they're not when they are a good tenant, and you also are government regulated that you can evict them. Well, it's not like the bank's going to stop. You know, are you going to not have to make your mortgage payments anymore on that apartment complex? No, right. you still have to make. It. Yeah. So right. So those right. are things where, again, if you're having those good years, just to take a little bit off the top and park it off to the side for these unforeseen events. It's good risk mitigation, and and. Just as important with risk mitigation comes a good business practice. You know, entrepreneurs, I love them to death, man. They're the risk takers, the guys who just plow through walls, right? It's what it's what it's it's just the nature of the beast. And I get and I I consider myself an entrepreneur. And and uh but all that aside, we don't really take into consideration risk because that's the negative portion of it, right? That's the perceived negative thought process. You know, as an entrepreneur, you always got to be positive, outgoing, forward thinking. And again, you're going to hit that wall full steam ahead. And sometimes you don't think about the risk side of it. And that's really where, you know, for my benefit and, and for the benefit of our clients, we want to recognize that risk and how do we mitigate it and utilizing all the tools that are available to us, not just the ones that, you know, 401ks are great, but, you know, I tell clients all the time, without an 831B plan, you jeopardize your 401k, right? You, you know, if you're not building a rainy day fund away from the, you know, where you were profitable in all those good years and the bad years coming, well, what's that going to look like? How are you going to survive that? And, and again, I think, you know, a lot of business owners that survived the Great, the great Recession and COVID-19, typically they just become better business owners. Uh, they bobbed and leave. They they crushed the expense. They did whatever they had to do to stay alive. And typically, they come out a little bit stronger on the back end. I mean, what what I guess with the old adage is, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I think that's true in a lot of ways, especially in business. <laughs> you know, and and so, um, but not to change the game. You know, a little bit so you can just you know play the play the game a little bit more effectively is building that rainy day fund up on tax deferred dollars. And it's really about maintaining the cash flow of the business because the cash flow of the business, that's, that's the blood of the business. That's right. Of that's course. what keep, yeah. that's what keeps the business going is that cash flow. And if that cash flow starts to have constraints on it or worse, you start to erode it, you know, uh, that's like taking blood out of the body without replenishing the blood. Well, of how course. long is your body going to last that way? Right. So, so from our standpoint, it's about maintaining the cash flow of the business. And that's what really happened last year, right? So these expenses got, you know, your, your income got cut off, but expenses stayed right there. Rent did, uh, insurances. You wanted to keep some of your employees on payroll because that's the other danger of not having that is 
okay, now we're ready to reopen, which everybody's experiencing that this year. Okay, we're reopened, but we laid everybody off last year. Now we're trying right. to go. Now they got to retrain everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And bringing them and right. trying to find employees, right. capable employees right. back in there. Boy, it would have been really nice to just keep them on your own your own dime, right? Yeah, of course. Save yourself a, a lot of money. That's a, oh, a yeah. good way to mitigate risk is by not putting yourself in that position to begin with, right? Of course. Yeah. That's just, again, that's good business. That's sound business principles. Right. And, and right. you know, Tony, that's what big businesses do. I mean, they have a fleet of risk managers. They have a fleet of attorneys. They have, I mean, unfortunately, our small to middle market business owners, um, they either avoid that kind of advice because they don't want to get a hit with a bill on it or they won't, they won't search it out. And that's, and that's, you know, when we designed our program, that's who our client was. That's who my client was when I was a property casualty agent, um, managing businesses, you know, from uh, retail to franchises to large construction companies. Um, you know, that, those were, those were my owners. Those are, those are the people that, you know, these are typically family ran businesses. And a lot of times they're just not given this type of advice until it's too late. And, that's that's why we want to get the word out, especially after last year. Um, so we, I certainly appreciate being on your show and, and being able to talk to you because and get to your listeners because, you know, the more they know, the better decisions they can make. And and here's the thing: the eight thirty one B plan is a tool, and for the right client, it's a great tool. But that's all it is. You know, it's it's not it's not a rocket ship. It's not a special, and it's certainly not a silver bullet. Um, you know, it's not going to end all your woes by no means. But at the same time, um, you know, if you're in a position, um, you, you owe it to yourself, your family and your kids, excuse me, and your employees, I should say. Well, that was a, uh, what's, <laughs> you know, I'm employees, <laughs> a Freudian slip, a little bit of a Freudian slip. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but no, you, you know, I mean, you do it. I mean, everybody that you're help you know, help grow your business, you know, if you, right, can, of course. If you can mitigate the risk a little bit. And I'm not saying there's no way you're going to take care of all of it. And that's, of if course. it was, the reward would be nothing. Right. But I think at the same time, if you can mitigate it a little bit, you just owe it to yourself and your business to do so. And, and at least vet it out. And, you know, one of the problems we have, I say problems, but, you know, CPAs out here uh, that are business owners, CPAs, most of them are, overworked and underappreciated right uh and so for them to get to get their head around this tax code um especially when we call them the google experts when they google it and they see that the irs has been putting out their stuff on it um yeah there's going to be problems with it but i also want to make sure that all the clients know that there's the right ways of doing things um and there's wrong ways of doing things and i don't care absolutely i don't care what industry you're in you're always going to have bad actors it doesn't matter if it's uh it just doesn't matter. You're going to have bad actors in every industry you're in. And, and then we, unfortunately we've had some bad actors, um, but hopefully they're going away and um, you know, hopefully we'll become the norm. I think, I think we're well on our way. I think the more competitors I have out there, the better this will become a normal business practice of some kind of only mitigating your risk more effectively because traditional insurance companies are not going to run out and start offering a lot more coverages now. You know, those guys are doing very well doing what they're doing. Right. Um, you know, why do they want to take on more risk? You know, they're that, I mean, a good example is cyber. Cyber risk right now is a real problem. Um, you're going to see substantial rate increases this coming next year due to ransomware. And they still estimate about 80% of all ransomware cases go unreported. 
which really scares insurance companies. You know that, you know they want to they want actuarials. They want to know what predictables losses are in order to charge appropriate premium. And right. Right. When they can't do that, they're going to exclude. They're either going to exclude it, limit it, or not cover it. Um, that's what insurance companies do. You know, um, in order to survive on their, you know, survive those times. And so I think cyber is a great example of that. You know, when it comes to risk appetite of risk. And now that you got COVID-19 and all these other things that have gone on, um, I just don't see traditional insurance companies jumping in there and wanting to make sure clients are, you know, better covered in the future for those types of events. Even if the government was to step in and do this uh, pandemic uh, back, uh, backstop, like they've been doing kind of like with the terrorism stuff with TRIA, um, even if they did that, uh, I don't think it's, it's not going to be a, it's not going to be a, it's not going to be a catch-all type situation. And again, it's yeah, the code exists. I, th I think all your listeners should vet it out and see whether or not it's something they can look into or not. And that's really what it comes down to. I mean, um, we're here to educate, and we certainly like all commerce and all clients and risk takers out there to, you know, do our program. By no means, I mean we're we're all about growth and and more clients the better. But um, I can't emphasize enough. Um, that if they're hearing about this for the first time, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, if they heard about it in the past, but they didn't take any look at it, uh, I, you know, I think the 831B plan is is imperative to their business, the survivability of it. And and that's really where, you know, we've spent some time doing some videos. We've, we've you know, really the education process of this. There is a, this is one of those products where you work on the business, not in the business. Um, and, that, you know, just to get their head around it. And, and certainly we're here to answer any questions or take care of, you know, there, there's definitely an education to owning one of these kind of plans. So. So you touched on a little bit earlier how sometimes smaller businesses can also use tools similar to those of Fortune 500 companies. What are some of those tools that they can use to help uh, mitigate their risk and maximize their business? Well, a good example is just be able to defer, defer taxable income into their business, right? So, so when I was talking about the cash flow earlier, well, would you rather use, you know, when we all have K-1 retained earnings, right? Which means we got tax on that revenue, didn't receive it, we left it in the business, right? Well, typically it's between 40 and 50 cents on the dollar. Well, in our program, you're able to take a full dollar. So if you have to go fight the fight, what do you want to fight the fight with? Pre-tax or after-tax? You know, you got, I can give you three to four times more on the pre-tax side. And that's just, that's just an efficiency of business. You know, it's interesting when you look at the Fortune 500 companies and, and sometimes, you know, you just watch, you just sit back and watch them. Go back to 08, 09. And they almost don't care what the economy is doing. Anytime. In fact, a lot of them would love it if the economy does take pull, pulls back because they got, they're sitting on so much cash right now. They really have to redeploy it but they're not going to deploy it when everything's so high real estate and on stocks. Right. So they almost want some of the bigger companies almost want some of these pull, you know, they want some of the disruption, right. It's, it's good business. Um, you know, and so for me, it's like, okay, well, how do you, how do you position your, your small to middle market business owners the same way? Well, it's by having cash right now, you know, there's time to leverage cash and there's time to hold on to cash, but, but, Again, would you rather use pre-tax or after-tax dollars to do it with? You know, one of the things that I saw really back after the Great Recession was business owners that had these types of tools, 
not only, you know, you talk about the, 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 the trough, you know, we went into the trough or Kamanaka and everybody pretty much makes their money going back up the hill. Right. And then you get down on top and you come back down and you're back in the trough. And I, I, now whenever that happens, who knows, right? God bless you. Go play the lottery, that kind of a thing. Right. But it's going to happen. It just, it always does. Right. But the, but the key component though, is the people that had these programs during that, during that downspurt, their, their competitors compacted. You no, know, there's their competitors went away. A lot of them. And they're the ones that had the inventory and the slope and they were able to capture, capture market share because they had the cash flow to do that with, you know, when I, when I, um, when I talk to clients about this concept, it call, I call it the double negative. So let's say something's happened to your business. And let's say you're having a, a brand issue. Um, you know, the product you had that you were selling uh, gets a major recall on it. Now, you didn't manufacture it. You just represented it and you sold it, right? But I was a distributor for it. And now it's being recalled. And I'm not, you know, the business that I, you know, the, the, let's call it uh, an auto dealer, right? I own a dealership. for the they're recalling all those vehicles. I actually make money on the recalls because now I get to fix them. But it's still going to damage my brand. It's still going to damage my company, right? Even though I, I'm not necessarily held to it. So if, if, my, if my reputation out in the community is being damaged by forces that run related to anything I did, or even if I did do them, right? I have a con that means less people coming through the doors. So my income is being compressed, but my expenses are going up because now I got to go hire another PR firm and everything else. Now, are you going to go down to the bank and ask them for a larger line of credit when you're having this situation go on? And, and we know what the answer is because they showed that they did it back in 08 and 09. They told a lot of clients, no, we're not helping you at all. There's no lifeline coming to you from the banks. When the economy takes a hit like that, they're not going to go out and give out more loans. And we saw... And they have their job, the role, and then I'm not trying to beat up on the bank. They have their roles to play too. But overall, though, um, you know, and again, it's just those are the types of tools, though, that big companies have been doing for years. So why can't we take it to the small and middle market business owners? Say these are the types of tools you guys could be doing as well. Because if you have low, if you have a local, if you have a local, let's say it's a financial pullback, you know, due to the economy or whatever, black swan events, whatever you want to call them. And you, you've been doing our program for a number of years, and you're able to pile up a substantial amount of reserves in there. Um, you, have, you have access to those. Now, what can you do with that? And that's really the game changer, right? I think that's, that's you know, and we saw it last year. You know, the, the richer got richer, unfortunately, last year. I mean, they just did. I mean, you know, and a lot of them had, because they had already things in position to take advantage of. And I don't know if taking advantage is the right word, but... They certainly were in a position to profit drastically due to COVID-19. You know, where the small, the middle market business owners were not at all. They don't have the, they didn't have the bandwidth, right? And so again, it's like for, for us, it's like, yeah, this is, this is how they can utilize it. This is the institutional type ideas that the business owners can take hold of and say, can I apply this to my business and how does that work? And, and, you know, there's fees involved and all that kind of stuff. We don't do things for free. And if you did, you probably wouldn't want to do business with us. Of course. Um, right. But at the same time, we think we think all businesses owe it to themselves to look at this kind of a program. And we don't believe fees will ever kill a deal. Um, 
but we have all that in place. We, we absolutely disclose all fees and everything else. You know, prior to 08, this, this program was so darn expensive. And you're, limited, you're, you're so limited where you can go with it. It just didn't make sense for a lot of small to middle market business owners. But like everything else in life, as awareness becomes up, competitors come to the market, and you're going to have a compression of fees and costs. I mean, it's no different than um, fast food restaurants, right? One comes in on the corner, four more come around it. I mean, it's just, you know, you will, you will compress prices and, and make things more competitive, right? That's the whole concept of our, of our economy, really, is competitiveness. And so, you know, the nice thing after 08, 09, you saw a lot of prices come, a lot of prices come down on, on for, and doing these 831B plans um, to where, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of small to middle market business owners can afford to do these types of plans going forward. And again, it's incentive to save. If I can deduct my dollar today and put it in my own 831B plan, it's as if I spent the money anyway, right? But now I have it, uh, now I have it over here sitting in this reserve account. And by the way, these reserves, they're investable. They're no different than the 401k plans, right? So these are reserves that can be invested by your advisor. You know, there's rules and regulations again, you know, um, to that. But at the same time, though, these become another investment vehicle for your business and for you. And one day, hopefully, you sell your business and you shut down your 831B plan. And the good thing is you take it out at a capital gains rate versus ordinary income rate. That is the biggest difference between a 401k and 831b plan is 401k, you just kick the tax can down the road and it's right, going to be taxes right, ordinary income. Right. Which is a lot of risk, really, because oh, you're, you're waiting risk. to figure out if taxes go go way up at a later time. And who knows after after what we've experienced with all the stimulus packages, oh, yeah. with pot potential new recessions looming, right? And you just don't know. You're basically leaving it up to uncertainty, which is usually why Roth IRA plans are also sometimes attractive to a more traditional, if you're a W-2 employee, to a more traditional uh, investment strategy for an employee. But yeah, I see exactly what you're saying. And so you're saying 831s are tax advantaged in that way as well, that you can yeah. uh, take capital gains tax rather yeah. than assuming, ordinary assuming, income tax. Assuming capital gains is a favorable, you know, that gets kicked around of course. all the time, right? Right, right. You know? of course. And that's course. a timing issue more than anything else. Right. But for right. the most part, I think, I think capital gains and dividend taxes will always be less than ordinary income rates. Well, let, let me right. put it this way. I hope to God they will be because investable dollars in this country would dry up. People would lose, well, lose yeah, there's there's less risk because of that, right? Because yeah. for the country to, to turn that on its head, for any country, for any government to turn that on its head, would basically say to businesses, we're not going to give you favorable treatment. And you'd see a lot of businesses leave if that would happen. Well, yeah. you just, yeah. the, 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 the reward is diminished to the point where right. why of take course. the risk? Of you course, know? of course. I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in meetings and heard clients say that. And that's disturbing. It's, that's very extremely disturbing to me. Right. Because I never want to hear a guy that threaded a needle, took an idea and ran with it and created a profit in his business say, hey, I no longer see enough reward here to take on the risk. Why am I doing this? Right. Um, you know, if, if that takes hold, uh, our country, uh, U.S. specifically, would be very much in trouble. For sure, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, and so that's that's the thing. I mean, if you can change the, if you can increase the reward, then I might even be able to take on more risk. But if I can manage that risk more effectively, that's that's the way I increase my reward. Right. Of course. So of course.
Awesome. Yeah, Van, this is all really great stuff. If people want to connect with strategic risk alternatives or with you, where should they go to connect with you? Yeah, so we actually, uh, our domain is 831b.com. Um, you know, so it's much simpler than strategicriskalternatives.com. Um, <laughs> well done on grabbing that one up. Yeah, for yeah sure. we have a great marketing person. She she did a great job for us and, and we've owned that for a while and, and she uh, deployed it actually this year. Uh, we see a lot of companies rebranding this year. It's kind of interesting uh, observing that, but uh, we're rebranding and one of them is definitely our domains and, and we make it, we want to make it simple. So it's 831b.com, um, B is in Bravo and clients can go there. They can reach out to us directly, uh, hit the team thing and email anybody on my team, including myself. And then there's a lot of videos in there. They can request certain things. You know, we've got legal opinions down to performance, down to case studies. And just trying to move this thing along with the clients to help them, you know, in the digest it on their own. You know, we've gone to what everybody else has gone to, right, is videos and watching it on their own time. Right. So, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so it's cool. it's been working out well for us. And again, I you know we sort of help you know being on platforms such as yourself here is it helps out a lot for us and and hopefully uh, helps your listeners and and you as well. So yeah, thank you again. Yeah, really appreciate you being here. This was a great discussion, and thanks for educating us all on eight thirty one Bs. My pleasure. Thank you, Tony. <laughs>